0: Welcome to the 16th episode of the 1796 Podcast, a monthly podcast that features exclusive interviews and in-depth news about the Tennessee National Guard and the Tennessee Military Department. The
1: 1796 Podcast is produced every month by the Airmen and Soldiers of the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office.
0: I'm Lieutenant Colonel Malone. And I'm Captain Hall, your co-host of the 1796 Podcast. In this special episode, we have the incredible opportunity to hear from the commander of Air Force Material Command, General Duke Richardson. General Richardson tells us all about Air Force Material Command and his perspective on the future of the Air Force. And of course, we'll brief you on the latest and most important news impacting the Tennessee National Guard in our Tennessee Bluff news segment. But first, our conversation with General Duke Richardson.
1: Well, listeners of the 1796 podcast, we are thrilled to have you with us today. It's an exciting day. We are in Chattanooga at the Medal of Honor Heritage Center right here near the riverfront and the aquarium in downtown Chattanooga. And we have an audience for the first time. Welcome, everybody. We were able to garner one of the areas in the Heritage Center where they show videos. Also, if you hear a little noise in the background, there are people touring through the exhibits and the exhibit audio is still active as well but it is a great setting. And we are thrilled to be joined by General Duke Richardson, the Commander of Air Force Material Command. And we'll get into what that is in just a minute. General, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Thank you, Marty. Thank you so much, sir. I'm gonna throw it
0: over to Captain Hall for our first question. Thank you, sir. And General Richardson, thank you so much for being with us today. You have a true Air Force story. You had a long career as an enlisted avionics airman, now a four-star general. Can you tell us a condensed version of your Air Force story? <laughs> condensed version,
2: so don't go through the 40 years. Now, <laughs> You're welcome I, to, I, sir. I, I, yeah, a condensed version. I, I'll tell you, it, it's interesting. I've often asked why I joined the Air Force, and frankly, it, it's for a very simple reason. I needed a job, And so, uh, but what I quickly learned very, very quickly is that it felt like a, a sense of purpose for my life. and so. One year led to the next, I ended up doing uh, six years doing uh, aircraft maintenance as an enlisted airman. Um, and then I ended up getting a, a degree in uh, engineering and then the Air Force course needs lots of engineers. And so I did that and uh, have just kind of advanced uh, from there. And I've been in about 40 years. I've married my, my uh, high school sweetheart. Um, we've been together the whole time. But I'll tell you what's interesting about the service is this idea of what I call the circle of life and that is we end up, just through experience and, and age, frankly, we need to kind of step up. And I think I haven't had a job that's any more fun than any other job. The very first job I had was a whole lot of fun. You know, as, as it works out, you kind of need to step up um, and take leadership roles. And so I've, I've, I've been willing to do that. Um, I did cross 40 years a couple of months ago and very happy to serve. So, so what started as a, a very simple reason for joining has really changed my life personally.
1: So it's, it's been wonderful. That's awesome, and thank you so much for joining us here right after 40 years. So, what brings you to Chattanooga, Tennessee?
2: I'm here to celebrate with you the Armed Forces Day Parade. So, Chattanooga uh, has had this parade, I think this is the 74th year. You know, the Armed Forces Day, I believe, started in around 1950. So, if you do the math, this parade actually predates the day. And so I think there's a lot of patriotism in Chattanooga, and I think that's demonstrated by the parade. I don't think this parade has stopped, not even for COVID. And so I'm honored to come here and, and do this, parade, you know, officiate the parade and, and celebrate with you all um, uh, for a couple of days here. Uh, that's why I'm here. I'm also here to, to tour this great facility, uh, this this Medal of Honor uh, venue that we're in right
1: now. It's very good. You're gonna, It's going to be a great tour. You're going to I gonna can't wait.
0: It. And sir, as you mentioned, we're sitting in the Medal of Honor Heritage Center. Why are events like the Armed Forces Day parade and places like this so important to our country?
2: That's a great question. I'll tell you. You know, the uh, Armed Forces Day. If you think about it, um, it's a really important day because uh, it's really an opportunity. Armed Forces Day, not not the parade necessarily, but the entire day, to celebrate the military. And I think, you know, I think about and you kind of going back to the very first question you asked me. You know, I've thought a lot about this in my life is why is it that I have stayed in and it really comes down to this profession called the military. And you think about what sorts of professions are respected by Americans and it's a couple of factors, you know, professions where people are caring for others, professions that are viewed as trustworthy and really professions that that are essential to society. And I think about the military and it really checks all three of those. And so, um, and so that's made it very easy you know, to, to serve. And I think Armed Forces Day and especially this parade tomorrow is our opportunity to show respect to the people that have made that decision. And so we're going to honor tomorrow all those who have served, all those who are serving now we're going to honor I think it also increases the awareness of, of the sacrifices that our service members and their families make. So when we have the parade tomorrow, I think the folks will, will understand that. When we have Armed Forces Day across the nation, folks will understand that. And by the way, this isn't about necessarily active duty. This hits guard, reserve, so what we call the total force, and it hits all services. And so it, it's not it's not a unique thing. I know that we rotate sort of who's the efficient by uh, by service this year, it's the Air Force's turn, but. Really, it's about all of that. And I look back to a, a great quote from uh, uh, President Truman. He talked about uh, it's important this day is for recognition of the skill, gallantry, and uncompromising devotion to duty. And I really love the word gallantry. And so that's what this day is about. And then tomorrow is a very specific uh, day of celebration here in Chattanooga.
1: That's awesome, sir. You're really making me proud to be a member. That's great. All right. So you are commander of Air Force Materiel Command. Tell our listeners, what is Air Force Materiel Command and what does it do and how is it postured within the Air Force and what does it do for the Air Force? So the Air Force has uh, what we have nine what we call major commands. So
2: if you think about the Air Force is about six hundred and fifty thousand people. By the way, there's several hundred thousand civilians who mm-hmm. have that same level of patriotism that the uniformed, uh, uniform wearing folks are uh, have. So about nine major commands. Some of them are things that you would expect like Air Combat Command, you know, flying fighters and Global Strike Command, fighting bombers mm-hmm. or excuse me, flying bombers and and uh, making sure that our uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles are ready to go. Uh, we, as we like to say, they're deployed every day. They're on mission every single day. There's two commands that are, two of the nine are kind of unique. One of them is Air Education and Training Command. That command is responsible for basically developing the people that use all these weapon systems. Air Force Material Command um, is, is, the, is, the, is sort of the sister command and, they're, and Air Force Material Command is responsible for developing all the material. So when you think of material, think, think fighters, think bombers, think cargo aircraft, think air refuelers, think helicopters. Uh, we do fly helicopters, by mm-hmm, the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fly a lot of special mission aircraft that we don't necessarily talk about. Uh, think about missiles, uh, bombs, think about ICBMs, all the nuclear systems that we use. The Air Force uh, has, operates two-thirds of the nuclear triad. And so there's a lot of, so a lot of what we call material, electronics, uh, data links, communication systems. Pretty much everything falls, uh, so equipping the Air Force, not just that, but installation support. So all the the installation support is part of Air Force Material Command. So it's a very large responsibility. We execute uh, about 40% of the Air Force's budget. So think $50 billion a year. So there's a lot of money that flows through the command. We uh, do that with 86,000 people. So it's a large command. It's the second largest uh, major command for the Air Force, uh, 170 locations. We've got eight what I would call primary installations that we are responsible for. One of them is Arnold Engineering Development Center, uh, which you may be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you are uh, just up the street. Um, I think it's maybe an hour or so from it, here. It
1: is. And, and two episodes ago, we interviewed their commander. Okay. So General,
2: yes. uh, Colonel Gordon. Yes. Yeah, Colonel Laz Gordon. So yep. Colonel Laz Gordon is part of Air Force Material Command. And so, basically, what we do is what we run the entire life cycle. So we do inventions. So we've got the Air Force Research Laboratory that's in Air Force Material Command. Uh, we've got commands that develop product, uh, which includes design, uh, producing, um, testing. We've got a, one of our centers does test. Uh, you know, um, because the systems that we develop and buy, there's not a it's a monopsony we're the only buyers for most of these systems so that means we have to do our own test we have to do our own sustainment uh, all of our heavy maintenance all of that stuff is done is done inside air force material command so it's a pretty uh, large job and um and that yeah, hopefully i'll give you a sense for for what we do in Indeed. air force material command wow that's a lot we like this well <laughs> we're I, I i don't like to well <laughs>
1: You I can often break, want to sir, say that we're okay. the most important, but the, the reality is they're all important. <laughs> they are.
2: We are certainly central to the Air Force because you touch all of them. We touch all of That's them right. exactly.
0: Yeah. And sir, in your your newly released strategic plan, it says that you will deliver integrated capabilities. So, a lot of military members are going to know what that what those terms mean, but would love to hear from you specifically. What are some of those integrated capabilities, and how is Material Command uniquely positioned to deliver them?
2: We like to use the word integrated. Uh, uh, because the systems that we have to develop. So our pacing challenge right now is uh, the People's Republic of China, mm-hmm. Russia's, uh, you know, certainly right there as well. We have a couple other challengers, if you will, that are that are sort of nuisances. Um, most of the time, in fact, if you look back over the last few decades, uh, we've been we've been pretty successful. But the People's Republic of China uh, presents a, a more of, more of a challenging challenger, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're using this term integrated because the, the systems that I mentioned that we're now developing for the future have to be able to work together in a very integrated fashion. And so that's why the communications parts, the, the, uh, the data links, all the, all the radios, all that stuff has to work pretty seamlessly. But to get to your question, think about all the fighters, the F-15s, the F-16s, the F-22s, um, the B-1s, the B-2s, the B-52s, the C-17s, most any of these things that you see, any of these flying machines that you see, The Minuteman III ICBM, uh, that's on alert every day. That's uh, something that's one of our integrated capabilities. Even trainer aircraft like the T-38, which is an aircraft that I worked on as an enlisted maintainer uh, quite a number of years ago. We're still flying that. The systems that I just described are, um, I would say more of our seasoned capabilities. Uh, They've been around a long time. Some of them, you know, five decades. And so on those systems, the, that idea of keeping them flying is pretty involved, and so we're doing that every day. Break, break, while we're doing that, while we're sustaining the fleet and modernizing it, we're also developing new systems. And so think about something we call the next generation air dominance, which is essentially the family of systems for the, for the, fighter that, the, the family of fighters that will come after F-22. The B-21 bomber. Which uh, you know we'll be taking to the skies very soon. The Sentinel, which is the replacement uh, ICBM system for the Minuteman III. The KC-46 tanker, mm-hmm. Air Force One, the next Air Force One, what we call the VC-25B. That's one of our integrated capabilities. Um, and so it just goes. I could. The list is quite long. T-7. We're finally going to replace that T-38 that mm-hmm. I worked on as a as a airman. Um, uh, you know, some number of years ago. So. So all that stuff, so basically invent, design, develop, produce, test, sustain, maintain, supply, modernize, and eventually retire. One other thing that I forgot to mention is if you, went to, if you go to Tucson, Arizona, there's a, there's a place called the Boneyard. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've heard of it. If you ever fly into Tucson, you can't miss it. It's a very, it's a, it turns out the desert environment in Tucson, that dry desert mm-hmm. environment, is uh, very uh, low humidity is really good for storing aircraft. And so that's where we end up retiring a lot of our aircraft. turns out sometimes we unretire them. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we store them. That also is part of Air Force Material Command, as you would expect. So, But really, thank, thanks for that question. That's what we do is delivering integrated capabilities in the form of material to warfighters.
1: <laughs> that is great info on integrated capabilities. And, sir, if you are good, we're going to integrate some news into the podcast. Over to The Bluff.
0: Up first this month in the Tennessee Bluff. More than 150 soldiers from the Tennessee National Guard's 251st Military Police Company are scheduled to depart Tennessee in mid-May for the first leg of a year-long deployment overseas. The 251st, which is headquartered in Lexington with a detachment in Savannah, is a military police unit comprised of National Guardsmen trained in various security, policing, detention and combat functions the unit is deploying to Romania, with the platoon also serving in Bulgaria, where they will conduct law-and-order missions as well as provide security for other forward-deployed military units. In other news, the final preparations for Thracian Sentry are underway. Thracian Sentry, an international joint readiness exercise throughout the nation of Bulgaria, is taking place in June of this year. More than 170 military personnel From the Bulgarian Armed Forces, the Hellenic Air Force in Greece, and the Tennessee Army and Air National Guard will focus on joint readiness with dozens of engagements throughout June. The exercise is a direct result of the state partnership program and Tennessee's long-standing partnership with Bulgaria. And in national news, despite numerous reports of declining recruitment numbers for the military, the National Guard has produced better-than-expected enlistment for 2023, Nationally, the Army Guard saw a 26% increase in recruiting in the second quarter of fiscal year 2023, with a 37% increase during January alone. The Air Guard saw a 21% recruiting increase in the second quarter over last year, with a 23% rise in March alone. That's our Tennessee Bluff for this episode, and now back to Lt. Colonel Malone.
1: So as Captain Hall mentioned, we we looked up your strategic plan. You talked about the integrated capabilities. So it also talked about amplifying warfighter culture. So from a material command perspective, what is that warfighting culture and how do you amplify it? What is Air Force material command to do that?
2: That's a great question. So one of the things uh, that we've got to be able to do is instill a sense of urgency in our workforce. And so, a lot of the things that I talked about, um, the folks in Air Force Material Command, except for the Air Force Test Center, they're not operating them. So, they're not flying them and they're not generally deploying. And so, what we it's very important that we make sure that they understand they're war fighters too. And so, uh, their importance is not a function of their proximity to the fight. Mm-hmm. And so, we want to make sure that they do that. So, there's a number of ways that we do that um, to make sure that they've amplify the warfighting spirit that's inside of them. One is making sure that they get intelligence briefings, threat briefings, at whatever level that they're allowed to see so that they can understand why we say it's important and why we say the time frames are important. Uh, we want to make sure that we connect the dots from how their specific job ends up with a, a capability in a warfighter's hands. And so, you know, General Alvin, the vice chief of staff of the Air Force, he really says it well. He, and this is a quote, I don't want to go to war with just the tip of the spear. I want the whole spear. (laughs) That's what AFMC brings to the fight. So if you think about a spear, it's not just the tip. There's a handle, there's a shaft, there's... There's a absorbing material on the handle. There's, that's the whole thing. That's what AFMC brings is the entire spear, not just yeah. the tip of the spear. And somebody had to make that spear Some, and test exactly. it exactly, and, 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 and sure sustain it, it and, and, and keep it sharp. Keep it, yeah. and, and so that's what we do. And so we do a, a lot of things uh, to, to, uh, to instill a warfighting culture um, in our workforce. And I think we're, we're having pretty good progress. We, we can never we can never uh, back that up. And as I mentioned, it's it's. We've got, um, of, the eight, of the nearly 87,000 folks, only about 20,000 are uniform wearing. Uh, the rest of them are, are civilian airmen. They're all airmen, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they
1: wear a uniform or whether they're civilians, they're all airmen. That's awesome, and I think that's something a lot of commanders have to deal with. That, that, that young payroll technician or the, in the finance office or in the JAG office or, or in the public affairs office, they, they need that warfighter mentality as well.
0: And Colonel Malone mentioned a moment ago that we had just interviewed Colonel Gordon, and, sir, you referenced Colonel Gordon from, from Arnold Engineering Complex, and he made reference to a lot of emerging technologies that are in the pipeline right now. Can you talk about some of those exciting technologies that, that Material Command's working on?
2: I can. I think, you know, and I'll probably just use Colonel Gordon's. So if you go up to Tullahoma, you know, if you go to the Arnold Engineering Development Center, you will see that's one of our premier test locations, and what you'll see up there is a lot of very important research going on on hypersonic Uh, weapons. Mm -hmm. And so uh, things that fly Mach 5, um, turns out if you fly things at that speed, it generates a lot of heat. And so a lot of the materials are not able to sustain that level of heat. And so the glider is the part that's in front of the weapon. So there's a lot of really great research that goes on up there. They've got world-class wind tunnels up there, if you've ever been up there, that can essentially emulate conditions, even space conditions, by the way, uh, that we can't emulate short of flying. and so we do fly things, but there's a lot of uh, testing that has to happen on the ground and so that's an example. Uh, we're doing a lot of research on hypersonics and a lot of that work a lot of that work is going on right here in uh, Tennessee. The it real, it really runs the gamut. I would say um, a lot of uh, there's a lot of research that we do in areas of sensors making sure that we can, um, you know, sense, make sense, decide, act as we, as we like to say. So there's a lot of work that goes on in that area. Unfortunately, most of the stuff we really can't talk about because of classification levels. Um, there's a lot of effort going on into communications. How do we communicate amongst those integrated platforms that I talked about in a way that can't be intercepted? or can't be jammed. Mm -hmm. So what we call low probability of intercept, low probability of detection. And so there's a lot of work that goes on to the communication systems. We're also working very closely with the US Space Force. So the Department of the Air Force consists of two services now. It consists of the United States Air Force and the United States Space Force. And so we're working very closely with our sister service that's in our same department. Um, because the communications capabilities that we're going to get from space and the sensing capabilities that we're going to get from space are really crucial to closing kill chains. So a lot of effort going on there, even even the way we're doing it, we're and I won't go too far into this because it's probably another hour long discussion, but we're using um, um, modern computing techniques and modern computing tools in the cloud to really change how we're doing our work. We call this digital material management, and so it's fundamentally changing how we're doing our jobs so that we can go faster so we're always trying to go faster. We want to go faster in a way that we don't lose the quality. So quality work quickly is what we're after.
1: Uh, that's, you've mentioned so many interesting, unique things, and dare I say, really cool things that I could ask you about, but we'll, we'll <laughs> save that for another time. So, sir, I'll just ask you an easy one. Anything else you'd like to share with the listeners of the 1796 podcast that we may have missed or we haven't talked about yet?
2: I want to make sure that, that people understand, I've been talking a lot about material things, but it's really about the people. And so none of this is possible without incredible Americans behind it. And so those Americans uh, are all, all over the place. I mentioned Tullahoma, Tennessee. Um, we've got, I mentioned the 86,000 uh, civilian and uniformed airmen that comprise the Air Force material command, given it, they're all every single day. So I wanna make sure that I mention that. And it's in, and not just them, I wanna mention all the other stakeholders and partners, including Congress. They pay the bills. Yes. And so, um, and so are our are partners, and also the defense industrial base. So we've got a huge uh, industrial base that helps us get this done. So it's a, a lot of teaming that goes on, and really, it's a it's about the people. You, you know, you you got to start there. Without really, really strong patriotic people, uh, none of this works.
0: Awesome. And sir, we close every podcast by asking our guests their one piece of leadership advice that they would share with our listeners. So, sir, what is your one piece of leadership advice?
2: Just one piece? Okay, you can get There's more like than one. There's, like, books written on that. I, <laughs> I would, I, you know, I've, let me point to three things, if I can. I know that's not one. but the, and I, I'll try to be quick. So the first one is focus on the nation, the warfighter, and the taxpayer. The nation, the warfighter, and the taxpayer. That's what we really, really have to do, and that's what we try to do every day in Air Force Material Command. Um, and each one of those is distinct. Second thing I would say is take care of your team. I mentioned the importance of the team. Take care of your team, by that I mean inspire them, give them commander's intent, which doesn't mean micromanage them, basically set up the parameters and let them do their thing. Respect them, respect every person that's in your organization regardless of their job. No rank is more important than any other rank. I already told you I don't have any more fun now than I had when I was um, an Airman basic 40 years ago. Develop them, Um, make sure you talk about we and not I Um, because it again is about the team third thing i would say is the core values and so each service has a set of core values the air force i like the air force core values quite a lot and our first core value is integrity first Um, and that is making sure you you know you live right every day every every night so that when you go home and put your head on your pillow you know you gave it your all for your nation for the warfighter, for the taxpayer um, and because you lived right, you'll probably make mistakes along the way, but you'll always—you're always, always going to get to sleep pretty quickly because you knew you knew you did your best and you lived with integrity. So if you
1: kind of follow those three things, you're probably not going to go wrong. Thank you, sir. General Duke Richardson, thank you for joining us on the 1796 podcast. What an honor to have you with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, sir.
0: Thanks for listening to the 1796 podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing, sharing this episode with friends, and giving us a five-star review. The 1796 podcast is produced by the airmen and soldiers of the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office. For more information, please visit www.tn.gov backslash military.